want to thank Hunter and Mandy and the worship team this morning. Uh, what a wonderful um, service to us in leading us in the truth, truths found in the scriptures through song. And so we thank you for that. <clears throat> Please turn with me this morning to the book of First John, First John chapter 3. title of the message today is having the audacity to love one another. Having the audacity to love one another. First John chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 18. 11 through 18. So follow along with me, please. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let us pray. Father, as we come before you this morning with the great responsibility of rightly dividing your word, Father, I pray that you will speak through me, and Lord God, that you will have already have prepared the hearts of each person here to hear your word proclaimed. We praise you this morning through your word. Amen. <clears throat> a Facebook post that at one time was going around said this, and I quote, I love God, but some of his children get on my last nerve. <laughs> it is somewhat comical because we can all relate to an extent that Within us, it is fairly easy to love God. He's perfect. There's nothing not to like. There's nothing not to love. But when it comes to other Christians, they're not God. They're not perfect. And they're not always lovely. We live in an age where we think that we can separate our love for God and our love for one another. We think that we can love God and love some of the people of the church. I'm here to tell you today, that's not what God's Word shows us. If we love God, we love His people. <clears throat> Sadly, 
There are some people that may even think that since they love God, no matter what they think about other Christians, since they love God, that they're okay. This is not so. The connection between the love for God is directly correlated to the love that his people have for one another. If you'll look over in chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now I do think it's important for us to recognize that John here is writing to the church in Ephesus and probably intended for this letter to go throughout uh, that whole entire area of churches around Ephesus. John is having to tell them that God wants them to love one another. So that shows us right off the bat that it is not natural, normal for us, even as Christians who have been changed by God from the inside out, it is still not natural for us to love one another. We have to be told to love one another. And because we're told that, we also have to take action in order for that to be a reality in our lives with one another. So it's not a given. It's not like uh, part of the fruit of the Spirit that we know that we actually have received it. But all the fruit of the Spirit actually provides a foundation for realizing that we must love one another. So today, we're going to look at having the audacity to love one another. So the first point this morning is the message to love one another. You're going to hear that a lot. Don't get tired of hearing it. Loving one another. John writes in verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. Now, before we go any further, I want us to understand that what John is alluding to here is the gospel. The very first time when they heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and they believed, that is whenever they knew that they had been converted and that something was very different. They knew that at the beginning, in the beginning of when they heard this message, the glorious news of the gospel that their sins had been forgiven forever. Past, present, and future. What a glorious reality that was that their Christ had come and he had saved them of their sins. And now, John goes on in verse 11, and what does he do? He says that a piece of that message was that we should love one another. John is reminding these Christians that the message that they've heard in the beginning was a message of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of salvation, but also that they must love one another. The message of salvation was not forgiveness alone. It was forgiveness that resulted in rearranged relationships with those whom loved God and His Son, Jesus. Salvation changed the way that we love the Lord. 
We were enemies of his. And we were probably enemies, true enemies of the people of God. But now, we love the Lord. And we must love one another. Now we know, we've all, if you've been a Christian a very long time, or very long at all, you know that many churches have not done a very good job of this, of loving one another. Um, we, we, we don't want to be that kind of church. We want to be a church that loves one another, cares for one another deeply. So I hope that we, and, and the way that our church loves one another is that each and every individual desires within their heart to love the body. That is how we are to love one another. Now, whenever someone who professes to be a Christian but who is not loving another Christian, another brother or sister in the body, it means one of two things. Hear me well this morning. The first one, it could be either that they have never been forgiven. That means they are not a Christian. Okay? And this morning, what you're going to see in our text is that that is what John is talking about primarily. Or they do not fully appreciate the depth of forgiveness that they have been forgiven or that they have been given. Okay? So either they have not, never been forgiven or they do not fully understand or grasp the depths for which they have been forgiven. John gives a powerfully negative example in our passage today to explain how sin affected human relationships. He talks about Cain. Look in with me at verse number 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. See, the problem with Cain was that he was a sinner who had not been changed by the Lord. He was different than Abel. Cain's sin of jealousy even led to the point of murder of his own flesh and blood brother. I believe that it's important that, uh, that John is giving us an example of two blood brothers here. And yet he's going to be talking about brothers and sisters in the body of Christ John applies this to Christians by saying, Do not be surprised that the world hates you. Now, look, we look here and we see that Cain is of the evil one. He is of the world. He is not one who is seeking to truly love and worship God. He is of the world. He is of the evil one. His deeds are evil. The world's deeds, even today, for us, the world's deeds, the people of the world's deeds are evil. I don't have to tell you that for you to know that, but we see it all the time. It is not unusual when this happens. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, to see the world hate God's people is the normal result of the evil one and his power on the world. The people of the world will mock Christians. They will seek to shame us. They will 
definitely seek, as we see throughout Scripture, they will seek to shut our mouths about the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we must not be surprised when the world hates us, but we must never let it be said of us that we are treating one another as the world seeks to treat us. We are the people of God. We have been forgiven much. As John said, right here in our passage, we should not be like Cain. He's having to tell the church in Ephesus and those Christians in that day, only a little while after Jesus had come and been raised from the dead, And he's having to tell them, don't be like Cain. I'm telling you, we have to be told, and we need to be told today, do not be like Cain. We must love one another, as we have heard from the very beginning. Loving one another is not only something that Christians should do toward one another. What we're going to find here in our passage is that it is something that they will do. Point number two today is love is a mark of salvation. Love is a mark of salvation. Look with me in verse 14. John says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Look at that. John assures Christians. Do you see what he's doing there? He's not getting on to them. He's he's encouraging them. He's giving them encouragement to know that you can be assured that you have passed out of death and into life because you love one another. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. If you love one another, be encouraged. It is a great joy to see love being shared among the people of God. Do you want to know if you are saved? We know that we have to believe the truths about the Lord Jesus Christ and truths about ourselves being sinners and in need of salvation. But what our passage is showing us right here, verse number 14 is telling us, is that if you look inside your heart and if you truly want to know if you're saved or not, do you love the Christians, the members of this church? Every one of them. Not a select few. Not the majority, not all but one or two. We must love one another, brothers and sisters. That's what John is pointing to here. He is telling us that if we want to know if we have been brought from past out of death and into life, we can know because we love the brothers. This is a way of testing our salvation. But why is loving the brothers and sisters in the church such a good test for our salvation? Why is that one the one that you pick out, Justin? Why, why would you do that? I don't, I don't understand. I want to tell you because it is so intertwined with loving God. If we don't love God, we don't love one another. And if we don't love one another, then we don't truly love God. Because what we find in the scriptures is that to love Christians, sinners, let me, let me get it straight. To love sinners 
It takes supernatural ability. It takes a supernatural ability to love the people of God because we're all sinners. And yet God has given that to us. He has worked in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word of God, and he has given us new hearts. He has given us hearts that are not perfect, but they are moldable. He has taken out the heart of stone, and he has put in the heart of flesh that can be molded by his word. And that is who we should be and must be as the people of God. Verse 14 goes on to explain that there are some people who do not love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Those people who continue to not love the brothers and sisters in Christ reveal that they do not know the Lord as their Savior. John explains that those who do not love abides in death. John then points to the eternal result of these people, their lives. No murderer, he's talking about hatred, going to murder, has eternal life abiding in them. They do not have eternal life. That means that John is pointing to the first realization that I was pointing to earlier is that um, if a Christian is not loving other Christians, other brothers and sisters, then it is because they have not been forgiven. That's what John is pointing to here. We should look all... We should all look at our own lives and ask the question. We shouldn't be thinking about other people and I wonder if they're the ones. And that, That's just not, what, that's not who we are, right? We, God has his word for us. And so I ask, I think that just as I have had to do over the last 24 hours, to ask my own self this question, do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love Brothers and sisters in Christ. If you do, then you can have assurance that you have been changed by the Lord and that you have eternal life. Praise God. It's a supernatural ability. If you do not love the brothers and sisters, then you do not have assurance that you have been changed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, as I was saying earlier, there's another way. It's not necessarily that someone has not been forgiven. It could be that someone is not rightly appreciating, not fully appreciating the depth of forgiveness that they have been forgiven. So I don't know this morning if you are dealing with this, if you're struggling with loving brothers and sisters in the body. I don't know which of those it is for you, but I, do, I can tell you it's one of the two. So now, because of that, let's look at, third point today, the reason that we can love one another. We all want to know 
well, is it really possible? Can I do it? Am I doing that? Am I loving my brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, let's look. Let's look at the reason that we are to love one another. We read in verse 16, and this is so important. By this, we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now listen, it's interesting that John and what John does here. He has just explained to us that we should love one another, right? He gave us a, a, a declaration that we must and we need to, we should love one another. And now he gives the church an example in verse number 16 and a reason that they should love one another. But the interesting part of that is that he doesn't give an example between two Christians. He doesn't pick out two Christians in the church in order to give the example as to why and how and the reason for why they should love one another. No. What does he do? He gives the example of God. God is the example, not us. We, we don't look to one another as the reason for why we should love one another. We should rather look to God and what God has done and how he has loved us. That's the example. That's the reason why we should love one another. John points to the second person of the Trinity. He points to the Christ. He points to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He points to Jesus, the Son of God, who was there in the beginning. He points to the one who created all things. He's the one who created all things visible and invisible for himself before time existed. We are looking at the Son of God as the example. And what is the example? Our passage tells us in verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. This is the reason. This is why we love one another. It's not because everyone is lovable. It's not because everyone is lovely all the time. No. It is because God loved us. And he loved us so much, not just to tell us that he loved us, but he showed us. He did it in action. What did he do? What was his action? His action was to leave glory, enter into earth, take on human flesh. And then what did he do? He, he, wait, don't get to the death yet. I know that's what you wanted. No. We just saw last week where he raised a man from the dead. To show his love. Because he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one who changed water into wine. He was pointing to himself that he is the Christ. To trust, into him, trust in him. And that then, once we see the signs that Jesus performed to prove that he is who he is. What did Jesus do? His last and final sign was to go to the cross. To go to the cross. On your behalf, in my behalf, not for our good, not for the shiny parts of us. He did it for our sin. He went to the cross personally 
for your sin and died for them. That is love. That is the example of love. And then Jesus goes on. I mean, John goes on to tell us here. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I can hear you now in your mind. Brother Justin, I can't lay down my life for the sins of my brothers and sisters. That's what Jesus did. He laid down his life. That's how he laid down his life. That's how he showed us love. I can't do that. That is true. We're not perfect, so we can't lay down our lives for someone else in that way. It's, most of the time, it's not even going to be a physical death in which we would lay down our lives for one another. Sometimes it is in the persecuted Christian world. What John is talking about here is something that is much more personal and much more long-lasting than a moment of dying for one another. It is actually giving up of our lives every day to love one another. I've been speaking about love in a general sense, that we should love one another generally. And we can probably all agree that we should love one another. I think so. See some smiles and nods. We know that we should give up of ourselves like Jesus did. But how in the world do I do that? How do I give up of myself in order to love my brothers and sisters? So John gets very specific in his, in his application. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. And he tells the Christians in that day how they should and must love one another. He says this in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John wants us to see that true love for one another as the people of God will be costly and practical. Costly and practical. We need to get very practical like John did here with the Christians in Ephesus. And I believe that John is pointing us true to what I would call true discipleship. Don't check out. This means that we should give up of our time, our money, our energy, our comforts, our talents, and even carrying one another's burdens. There are a multitude of lists of things here that we could put. But we should do that for one another. We, we do this together as we build one another up in love and good works that are found in the Scriptures and the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, discipleship is something that we... It's not formulated like we have discipleship training like I always had growing up. Discipleship is spending time with one another, loving one another, serving one another, teaching each other the word, 
teaching each other about life and how a Christian should live in certain situations, how they should make decisions that's different than the world. Listen, that takes time. It takes energy. You know what? It's costly. And it's practical. But that is what we've been called to do. In order to be a disciple of Jesus, we know that we have to take up our cross daily and follow him. To be a disciple, right? To be a disciple, to be a learner of Jesus, and also to disciple others. That's the positive way, okay? That's the positive way. I want to look at the negative side. Whether we love a brother or a sister truly reveals itself when there is some problem that arises between the two. That's whenever it gets tricky, right? That's when it gets hairy, as we would say. That's whenever it's difficult. And that's where we're going to find out whether we love one another. I want to focus here for a moment on application on how we can love someone whenever a problem arises. I think this is important for all of us. And this is something that I've learned over the years of pastoring and preaching and and seeing God's people desiring to Live among and with one another. So let's look at this. The first place, whenever a problem arises between Christians, the first place to run is not to your elders. Now, we're not afraid to hear or to help. Okay? But that's not the first place to run. And it's definitely not the first place to run is to fellow church members to talk about it. That's definitely not the place to run. Okay? The first place to run is actually Matthew 18. The first place to run is to love your brother or your sister by talking with them first. That's the first thing. It is simple, but let me tell you, it's hard to have those conversations. I've had them. But I will tell you, most of the time, that's where those discussions end. Love happens in those conversations. But that is the first place to run, is Matthew 18. To go to the person and have a discussion and a conversation with them. The second place you should go is 1 Peter 4.8. 1 Peter 4.8, where Peter directs God's people, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sin. Love will cover sins of our brothers and sisters. Meaning that we don't overlook sin, but we realize that we are all sinners. None of us are perfectly holy. Therefore, loving one another will help us to see the person as a redeemed child of God rather than someone who is to be attacked. 1 Peter 4.8 The third place to go is Matthew 7, 
1 to 5. Matthew 7, 1 to 5. Uh, judge not lest you be judged. Y'all know that passage probably, right? But the part I want to go to here that we need to look at more specifically is where Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye, right? So take the log out of your own eye first. Now, Jesus meant here, his desire was to rightly help us as God's people to rightly desire to assess our own hearts before we enter into judgment upon others. It's good for us to have a, have a right understanding of who we are and where we are before we do that. This is why, why is that so important? It is so important that we first go to ourselves to look and to take out the log out of our own eye first, primarily because we know our sins better than we know anyone else's. Right? Amen? We just do. Uh, we know that, I, as Paul said, I am the biggest sinner that I know. And you are the biggest sinner that you know, or at least you should be. You are whether you agree to knowing that to be the case or not, because you know yourself better than anybody else. Then, with a great deal of humility, Jesus is pointing us to say, we can, in love, go to our brother to help him, not to attack him or to attack her, but to help him get the speck out of his eye. So first take the log, then help our brother in love to take the speck out of his eye. Sin is very real in all of our lives. So don't skip the step of taking the log out first. And then don't skip the step. Don't think that you're too, too sinful to go to your brother if you see sin. Go to them because if you don't, you're unloving. Go to them and help him Take the speck out of his eye. Or go to her and help take the speck out of her eye in love. Third. Excuse me. Fourth. We go to Matthew 18 again to finish out that process. If we have already gone to see our brother or sister, but then if he or she does not repent of their sin, we must go with one or two witnesses, and then, if sin is not confessed, we take it to the church. That's the process. I want to reiterate with the people of God, and here at Fisherville, that the majority of times that I've had to have those conversations, the majority of times, they end with the first discussion. The people of God willingly and desire to be molded by the Word of God. We want to have our brothers and sisters care for us enough to help to mold us by His Word in love. And so when we have those first conversations, most of the time the people of God are molded and shaped. Repentance happens if there is sin. If there is a disagreement on what was, has taken place, those things are then worked out in that discussion, and then it is over. 
Praise God. We, as the people of God, not just at the First Baptist Church of Fisherville, all over the place, have gotten way too lax in not taking these steps that God has given us in his word. So please take heed to them. Please take heed to Matthew 18 and what it has to say to us. Let's not forget this morning that the very reason that we are able to love one another is because the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who's shown us love. He laid down his life for us. So I ask you this morning, I beg you, to lay down your lives for one another. It is a worthy, worthy task. It reveals and shows that we are the people of God. And, and the outside world will and is watching. They are watching. And as we live like the people of God in this way, the world will see. Some will hate and some will be converted. Some will come to see what is happening. Some will wonder why we can love one another the way that we do. And we will tell them. Because we have a great God, a wonderful Savior, who loved a sinner as wretched as I am to die on a cross for my sins. We will tell them what the Lord has done for us and what a glorious reality that is that I even have hope from now through eternity. Praise be to God. So is it true that we love God, but as children get on our nerves? Maybe sometimes. But we must remember that even though we probably get on God's nerves, He does not stop loving us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. to thank you for your love. God, that you have been so kind to us to show us a love that cannot be matched. A love that would love a sinner like me. Father, I pray today that our hearts will take heed to your word. Lord God, that no matter where we are, that we will be a people who will seek to love one another as you have loved us. And I pray, Lord, that we will see great and glorious and wonderful results from that love. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.